Welcome back to Antisocial Studies. My name is Emily Glankler, and on today's episode, we are back with Seema Rao. You know her on TikTok as at Artlust, and she knows all things art, design, art history, whatever. She's incredible. And today, I get to teach her about the design elements of the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. And let me tell you, y'all, if this podcast, if no one else listens to it, but it is just a vehicle for me to go back and reuse some of the knowledge I learned and wrote about in grad school, then this podcast will have been worth it. Because do you wanna know how many people have ever asked me to explain about the 20 page paper I wrote about the design elements of the 1968 Mexico City Olympics? You're right, none of them ever have. And so instead I've just forced guests to come on my podcast so that I can talk at them for around an hour about these things that I was forced to research, actually really actively and excitedly chose to research, so that this knowledge can be preserved somewhere besides that random Google Doc in a Google Drive that's like Emily's paper from 2013. So anyway, please enjoy this episode all about the 1968 Mexico City Olympics, specifically the really cool and indigenous inspired design of the Olympics and the historical context of what was going on in those Olympic games that made it such a big deal. This is Antisocial Studies and my name is Emily Glankler. My guest is Seema Rao. Settle in, let's go back in time. Welcome to Antisocial Studies. I'm Emily Glankler. I'm really excited because I have back with me Seema Rao. You know her on TikTok as at Artlust. She's art history everything. Uh, Seema, welcome back. How would you introduce yourself to anyone who didn't listen to our last episode all about porcelain? Well, I think you have to go listen to that episode. Of course. Obviously. Yes. Pause um, right now. Go uh, listen to it. Just pause, listen to it, come back. <laughs> I am an art historian and I worked in an encyclopedic museum for a long time. So that means that like a lot of probably um, uh, high school teachers, I had to look, teach a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you lose a specialty and you gain a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I worked, lo- I worked a lot with high school students and teachers. Awesome. Yeah. And I mentioned this on the last episode too, but if anyone listening is, especially if you're a history teacher wanting to incorporate more art into your classroom, but you don't necessarily have the background knowledge, then um, Seema is an account you'd want to go find on TikTok. She also has a podcast too. They're both called Artlust. Um, and so, yeah, this episode, this, this episode is pure selfishness. I'm going to tell you this right now, because this, this was one of the, topic. T- this was one of the topics when I did my master's degree, I was not moving on to get a PhD. I just was a nerd that wanted to go to more school. And so my school had an option where instead of doing one massive thesis about one topic, Uh you could do a comprehensive exam where you basically did three smaller thesis papers and you could explore three totally different things. And I like to make things harder on myself. So I chose that option. And so this was one of the three topics. So this is essentially like a little mini thesis that I wrote and then I've never gotten to talk about again because no one walks around asking like, hey, Emily, wait, talk about about mine too. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk about the 1968 Olympics and like how the design elements, you know, reflected international relations? And I'm like, so glad you asked man on the bus. Like that just does not happen. So when I, um, when I knew you were coming on, I was like, Seema will get this. You will probably be able to enlighten me on a lot of the more design part of this, but I'm going to talk today about the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, and there's a lot to talk about historically, and I really want to focus on the visuals of this Olympics because it's cool. It's awesome. And I I will say, like, I'm going to post on my Instagram all the images we're going to be looking at, and I think that you will find that when you look at some of these images, you could see them being really popular and, like, today. They seem still really current. They seem like a style that's maybe coming back. Um, It's a lot of really modern op art 
kind of design, but it has a lot of really interesting history behind it. So mm -hmm. let me first, well, actually first, I would love for you to tell me, because I know very little about the art side of it. What is, like I hear op art and like psychedelic, those sort of words all kind of go together. Um, what's your understanding of like this time period, like late 1960s graphic design sort of stuff? Yeah, so it was like a, it's an interesting thing. I was, so the op art is very, op art, if you, if you, if you were an art historian, mm -hmm. um, is art that is a very specific kind of art. So it's art that make, basically has an optical illusion. Yeah. So like something like um, an artist might be Julian Stanchek, who um, does all these lines that look sort of like one of the posters. And so they're supposed to basically, um, it's, it's a, in the 60s, a lot of artists wanted to, they didn't need to tell a story. Hmm. So op artists were not telling a story, yeah. right? Because there was other artists who were telling a story. And like, when you think about 1968, in in North America, where you know, obviously Mexico's in North America, we had a lot going on. It was the one of the craziest years on record, I right. think. Right, like it's still like I like I I don't know what happened, but I was like, did that happen in 1968 too? It all when in doubt, like, when yes. in doubt, if it's a crazy thing, it happened in 1968. That's right. So so like so for so for op artists, they just really wanted the surface, and it was color, and it was huh. about the colors playing against each other and like tricking you, but like not tricking you, so you see deep thoughts inside. Right. Uh -huh. So op art was like very much like colors, patterns, mm -hmm. geometry, like not not deep thoughts. Um, yeah. And psychedelic is something that you don't see in fine art. So op art, you see it in fine art. And mm. then you also see it like everybody starts doing stripes and po polka dots and things like that. But then psychedelic is really one of the things I love about psychedelic art is a lot of it comes from like counterculture, like concert posters. Yeah. Right. Like people are printing like it's mass media. Mm -hmm. psychedelic like the psychedelic culture was mass and cheap media it's like kids deciding this is going to be the look of this yeah we think this looks cool so we're going to yeah. make it right yeah yeah um i just want to give you a really quick shout out to and mention to any of my listeners that i did not prepare you that this was the topic i was going to talk about and so i just want everyone to understand that i just threw out to seema and was like can you give us a little history of op art and psychedelic art and like there was no pause in that. We didn't pause while she went and researched. <laughs> so I just want to mention that that was very impressive. Um, Thank you. But so that's, you know, what we're looking at for the Mexico City Olympics. When you look at the logos, everything, it is this op, it's this op art. So for example, the first, the main logo that I'll post oh, on my Instagram, so it's like Mexico City 68. It has the Olympic rings. And then essentially all of the, the font is all curved or right? it's all curves. And so then the curves just follow out. You're like constantly outlining in another curve, another curve, another curve to where it basically extends beyond the whole page. And it ends up looking almost like one of those, they call it the magic eye posters, yeah, right? I mean, that vibrates. It is, it's supposed to vibrate. It's yes. When you're just like, staring at it, it right. looks like it's moving. It's vibrates. And you know, that's like, to me, one of the things so fascinating about op art is that we, we don't realize that it's like conceptually supposed to be moving pictures. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm -hmm. it's supposed to vibrate. It's supposed to make us feel like that. Yeah, you're supposed to look at it and be like, whoa, I'm sort of tripping yeah. out, right? Yeah, Which like is what trippy. They exactly. Yeah. Yes. So um I was really interested in these Olympics more for the historic aspect of it because and I'll, so I'll give you a little bit of like the history background. So the 1968 Olympics are a big deal for a few reasons. They're the first Olympics televised in color. They're the first mm. Olympics held in Latin America, the first held in a quote unquote third world or developing country. This is like the height of the Cold War. And right. so the Mexico City Olympics were a really big deal because up until this point, the Olympics had been held mostly in Europe, mostly in the United States and Canada. 
And um, Mexico was in this really interesting moment in its history. So I'm not going to get too much into the weeds, but they'd gone through a dictatorship in the late 1800s. They kind of overthrew that dictatorship in the revolution 1910, 1911. Mm -hmm. And like most revolutions do, it kind of devolves into a civil war. And Mexico has always really struggled, like most countries, like we have as well, with its national identity. Who are mm -hmm. we as a nation? Mm -hmm. Partly because, um, you know, they were home to the mighty Mexica, what we call Aztec mm -hmm. Empire in Mesoamerica, because they had such a dense population of indigenous people when conquistadors came over, even though, mm -hmm. of course, so many of them died, there were enough left to where there was still like a huge cultural element yeah. of indigenous culture that we don't have as much in the United States, right? Um, we we do, but it's not as like mainstream as it is in Mexico. And so even through well, I think this, they were densely populated too. Exactly, like they had, and like, so big cities. Whereas huge... in, in North America, we didn't have. We I mean, like yes, there uh, there are there are city building, but a lot of it was just more spread out. It was more nomadic. It was and yeah. it was easier for us, not easier for us, but it was also something that white kind of North American settlers yeah. um, wanted to just they didn't want any sort of intermingling yeah, whereas in the right. conquest of mexico there was a lot more intermingling which is a polite term for what happened to where now there's all this ethnic diversity in mexico yeah. so even by the 1900s even in this civil war over like what's our new government going to be we've overthrown yeah. this dictator porfirio diaz and there's there's sort of this these competing mexicos are we going to be yeah. this like modern north american yeah. white nation kind of spanish descended wealthy white nation we want to try to ally ourselves yeah. with the united states are we going to be a more rural traditional indigenous population that's going to honor that part of our history and in that mexican civil war that rages you have groups like the you know emiliano zapata mm -hmm. who's like representing the indigenous movement what ends up happening is that sort of the uh, kind of elites went out there's this um the pre-party comes to power, but they're attempting to create this new national identity of Mexico. Basically, the 1920s and on is really the first time in a while that Mexico is able to sit down and decide, like, what's our story? What's our story going to be? They're writing a lot of new textbooks that are really fascinating to read of, like, what is Mexican history? And they're trying to embrace their kind of Aztec and indigenous heritage right, right. without also, but they don't want to concede to the actual indigenous people who are in Mexico who are asking well, like for... like Frida Kahlo, right? Frida Kahlo. Exactly. I mean, she was indigenous, mm -hmm. um, but she's at a moment where people, but also German, and, you know, there's a lot of counter, there's a lot of indigenous people who do not appreciate how she took so much indigenous culture and made it mm. Mexican culture. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is also the moment, because it's, is it the 1930s? Is like Diego Rivera mm -hmm. and his murals mm -hmm. and stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, so there's this, there's this movement that's going on in these decades of, Mexico trying to figure out who we are and who are we presenting to the world. Um, and so the Mexico City Olympics in 1968 is this like enormous moment. It's this enormous coming out party of like, okay, this is our chance to kind of announce ourselves to the rest of the world and decide who we want to be. And so there's this conflict between we want foreign visitors to see us as essentially white, modern, economically advanced, safe, all those sorts of things. But European european mm -hmm. but there's also groups that want to kind of honor the uniqueness the indigenous wow. heritage whatever and so that's why i was just really interested in the mexico city olympics is like how do they balance this so 
I will just say this is the head of the Mexican Olympic Committee. His name is Pedro Ramirez Vasquez. This is a quote. Mm. He says, the rest of the world has taken a long time to forget an image of Mexico, that of a figure covered by a poncho and a sombrero Mm. sleeping soundly beneath the shadow of a tree. The new international image of Mexico is being created this Olympic year. It is, of course, entirely different, but by no means is an effort being made to create a false image. He's like... I know the stereotypes of what especially white Americans think of when they think of Mexico. They think of it as the, quote, land of siestas, and they think of it as this just kind of strange foreign land to the south, and we want to change that. And so it's super interesting because then you can look at all the visuals and all the, like, artistic decisions that they make um, that I find really fascinating. So... Mm-hmm. Um, with that, here are a few, a few cool things that they do before we just kind of get into the design. So for like the year leading up to the yeah. Olympic Games, they also hold a cultural Olympics all around the country. So in cities all around Mexico, although most of them are in Mexico City, they're basically highlighting like folklore, dance groups, music, indigenous art. They invite artists from all over the world to come and bring their art there. So they're trying to say that like, it's not just gonna be about the sports and the athletics. We're gonna honor all these other parts of Mexican heritage by honoring Mm -hmm. art they commission for example records to be made that are like recording and documenting traditional indigenous Mm -hmm. music they're actually like making this huge effort it's like all this oral history exactly another i I do remember vaguely that there was another olympics that had arts but i can't which one it was maybe in the 30s but oh interesting um, but they didn't do all this it was like yeah it was like competition art no, yeah, this was like, they called it like a cultural Olympics and it was literally this like mm-hmm. showcase. They were also trying to encourage tourism for longer than the two mm-hmm. weeks, right? They wanted people it to come and like visit before. It sounds like a World's Fair. Exactly. That was sort of what they were trying to do is, yeah. and I think part of it is, if you think about it, you're Mexico, you're kind of like, this is our one chance. This is our one mm-hmm. chance when the rest of the world, especially Europeans, are looking at us and, and coming to us and we want to like get the bang for our buck. We want to show them everything that we have to offer. And mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that they, they intentionally, like what we have to offer is art. We have our heritage and our mm-hmm. culture to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they have a few the the theme of my essay is i was like there were there were sort of three um images that were trying to be portrayed to the outside world about mexico and the first is that mexico is modern mexico Mm -hmm. is a modern nation and this is what you can see in a lot of the design of even the logo and stuff is like we're hip we're up to date like we're doing the things that everyone else is doing they created films um a really successful film that was called mexico city of the 1970s and they're trying to like sell you on that like mexico city is the next paris it's the next rome it's the next london or new york this is where you're going to want to come um so again it's this massive pr campaign and so that's where the psychedelic art comes in mm-hmm. um I'll mention, and I'm, again, I'm going to put these up on my Instagram, but on the second slide that I'm sharing with you, Sima, you'll see mm-hmm. they even made, um, so I will say originally the graphic designer who was in charge of this, mm-hmm. I found there was actually, this did not exist when I was doing this paper, but he recently gave an interview. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh my God, I would have been so excited to have this a little bit ago. Let me find his name. Okay. His name is Lance Wyman. He was an American graphic designer and he was hired by the Mexico team to come down and help them with this and what i thought was really interesting is that he just came up with the the op art design on his own he was like hey 68 that's sort of a round number literally like the the shape of it can be very round and the olympic rings are round and he kind of came up with this idea and so he came down and said this is really modern this is kind of psychedelic op art people are going to really love it and then what they started to discover is he started to travel around mexico go to like art fairs Mm -hmm. and markets and he discovered Mm -hmm. these huichol 
yarn paintings yeah, um, yeah. that were actually really like similar. And he was like, oh, yeah. we should tweak this and we should start to incorporate this kind of cultural mm -hmm. heritage. So on this second slide I have, they literally made these wooden kind of templates um, that mm -hmm. had the, the logo, the 68 mm -hmm. and the Olympic Games. And then they gave them out to indigenous artists and said, now create oh, your wow. art on top of it. That's right? And so that's, cool. that's what these pictures on the bottom is. You can see them. Oh. They're, they're doing these traditional yarn paintings where they're weaving on top that of the template. So cool. Right. You know, the other thing they have is the, it has a, one of them has a bird and one of them has a snake. Isn't that where Mexico City was founded? Because there was a bird and a snake. Yeah, the mythical story snake. is there was yeah. like the eagle perched on the cactus with a snake in its mouth, right? That's in the it. middle of That's the it. lake. And they're like, this is where yeah. we will, you know, um, which so I have cool. I have thoughts on that. But yes, that's according okay. to kind of their national history. And so I just thought this was really interesting that, you know, on the one hand, yeah, it was this American graphic designer that was like, this looks cool. But then the mm -hmm. fact that they discovered this connection to indigenous heritage and went, we're mm -hmm. actually going to really incorporate this and we're going to actually go out and kind of encourage indigenous artists to create these sorts of things. Obviously, like we talked about in our last episode, these are then going to be tourist items, right? They're yeah, going to be things people are going right? to want to buy and bring home and hang up in their house. Um, you can see on the next slide too, they specifically incorporated like the images of like the Az like Aztec carvings where you see these mm -hmm. like super circular stone carvings yeah. with sometimes faces of the of a god in the middle. And you can see there's one they made a whole Aztec symbol created with Olympic symbols. So all these little shapes inside are actually the like you can see like the piece stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's all these like little symbols in there that when you zoom out and look at it broadly, it just kind of looks kind of like one of these it's Aztec carvings. also trippy in my eyes. It is trippy. Yeah, you kind of zoom in and out, and you're like, what yeah. am I looking at? You um, like, can't an, figure out. You can't figure out what you're looking at. An Olympic yeah. coin that's this gold coin that actually just has a recreation of this Az famous Aztec carving on it. So they're really, like, oh. embracing this and embracing that as a way to kind of try to marry these two things of, like, we, yeah, we're mm -hmm. Mexico, and we're different. We're not the United States. We're not, we're not a European state or whatever we have this different heritage we have this different art form these indigenous communities whatever but then trying to like turn them into a thing and in a way that is palatable and interesting and modern and sort of like cool to foreign visitors right yeah it's like you know i think it's palatable but also i mean i think that the one thing that i i i can't imagine because i was not in the world in the 60s but like um but you've got to think like people traveling there, it must have just seemed so different, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think it's also that they, they were trying to, it, I can't fathom a world where we didn't have long distance phones, yes. right? Like we didn't, and so it's like hard to imagine these people who were landing in these places. With you know, no like they, concept they of no what they're context. walking into. Yeah, yeah, like they don't, what, like what? Like, they don't have Google and, images to like no. see what the city is going to look like, nothing. <clears throat> exactly. And so that to me is, um, there was a lot of thought put into from the, basically from the moment tourists would arrive in the city, what would they experience? Yeah. And you can see, if you actually go to slide six, you'll see these beautiful women in these awesome mini dresses. Um, yeah. These were the edecanes or the hostesses. They hired like mm. hundreds and hundreds of women. They intentionally tried to make sure they were diverse. Have they ever done like oral interviews? Wouldn't that be so interesting to talk to them? I did see a photo of clearly one of the women who was posing more recently still in her dress. So, you know, she was like, yeah. still got it kind of thing. But these women, I mean, they just look like women from the 1960s. They're wearing these really cute mini dresses that have you the know, like Mexico design. This dress? Hmm. Is the same pat? It looks like the exact same pattern as Andy Warhol's uh, soup dress. Yes, 
Yeah. yeah, and it's instead it has the Mexico 68 with, yeah. again, the psychedelic kind of lines coming yeah. out of it. It looks super cute. Like this super one woman lovely. has a beautiful cape that she has behind her. And they everything was br super bright colors. They wanted, they stationed these women, these beautiful women, right, all around the city so that if you were a tourist coming in for the Olympics, you could find one of these beautiful mm -hmm. women and she would gracefully show you all around. She would make sure How you knew where to go. Is that? It's like so Mad Men. It <laughs> is. It's totally, they're like, it's essentially like, like flight here's attendants. Here's a hot lady yes. to show you. Yes. Like imagine, you know, like Pan Am flight attendants, but, you know, wandering around the city being like, can we show you to the hotel? Can we show you to the stadium? Whatever. Um, and again, what was part the name of the guy from Mad Men? He's probably Don slept Draper. With one of them. Don he, Draper. Don Draper would have loved the six. Don Olympics. Draper slept with all the girls. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the reasons why they did this intentionally is that they were recognizing that there were two, there were two groups. They wanted to say, like, look, we're we have this economic prosperity, Mexico. Right. Before 1968, for the last 30 years, had undergone what is known historically as a Me the Mexican miracle. It's this massive mm -hmm. economic growth where I think every year their their GDP overall is growing by 6% year over year over year for like mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years. It's the mm -hmm. same thing that we see in, or it's similar to what we see in Japan post-World War II, right? This economic mm -hmm. miracle of massive growth. Um, but the complaints or the, or the perceptions that outsiders have is that there's still massive inequality which of course is true. And there's gender inequality, which of course is true. And so they're trying to combat this narrative and say, well, no, no, no we're also progressive, right? This is 1968. This is like the height of the feminist movement in the United right. States, that sort of thing. So one of the reasons why they want to put these women front and center is partly because they're beautiful and the men who are visiting will love it, but also to, to have these beautiful, eloquent women talk about how much they love Mexico, right? And, oh, I, I have a job now. I was able to go to college. I work in an office, all that good right. stuff. Right. right. We're, we're modern. I mean, I we're think modern. it's so interesting because this is actually like an art history. The 60s is modern modernism. Mm -hmm. Like when we talk about we talk about modernism, it's art from the early 20th century. Right. Like right, it's actually at the cusp. 60s is sort of near the end of modern art. Mm. It's going to go like 68, 70, and then it goes into contemporary art. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you'll also see um, there's an image before on slide number five that shows um, on the left, it looks like it's straight out of a Dr. Seuss book, but yeah. it's the ground what? outside the main Is stadium. It? Yes. Okay, but what's the one above it that looks so that, like it's that's, a historic building? No, that so that is like outside of I think one of the like walled complexes, and okay. they've like painted the concrete that's into crazy. these psychedelic pink and orange like circles and I loops, and I it literally looks like a Dr. Seuss scene yeah. or something. And so again, like you were saying, you've never been to Mexico before. You've never seen pictures of Mexico. Your image of Mexico, as frankly a white American, is probably from the maybe 19th century right and it's and then you walk into this incredibly modern city mexico city is massive at this point there are these beautiful hot women who are showing you around you're taking these like cabs there's art literally everywhere on the whole i do think to go back to what you said mexico yeah. city is enormous right it's like massive. it is so massive like yes you know i the i i've been there i have uh, family friends who are there and you know like when you see it in like the crater, it is so huge. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no other city in North America that is the scale of Mexico City. No, and I only think it's not that overwhelming because my my parents are from Bombay, which is also massive, right? Yeah, like, the scale of these cities 
Yeah. It's just, it's like, you think like, I don't know, like you think Houston is big? No. Dallas is big? No, 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 no. Like, because it's packed too. People are just packed in there. And this is, it's really funny because that is actually the experience too that like European conquistadors, whatever, had when they arrived and emerged on Tenochtitlan. Right? They they turn around and there's all these men talking about like, I thought I was dead. Like, I thought I was seeing a mirage. I've never (laughs) seen a city like that before in my life. And they're comparing it to like, it's to Rome. I mean, they're like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And again, it's literally in the middle of a lake. Of course, the lake gets drained and now it's Mexico City. But so I just think that, um, yeah, this was incredibly intentional to be like, we know exactly what you think about Mexico. We know these sort of racist stereotypes you have about us being quote unquote backwards or whatever. And we're actually going to show you that we're like the coolest, hippest, brightest, mini skirt, whatever. But they're connecting it to this indigenous art where they're like, but mm. also we're not, we're not getting on your bandwagon. They're like, you've, you've right. been getting on ours, How right? Empowering. Like look, look yeah. at this art that we've been making, our people have been making for hundreds and hundreds of years that yeah, does kind of look like the psychedelic art, but like we were doing it first. Right. Um, so we got it. We, we got, got it. it. <laughs> we're fine. Right. There was this massive route of friendship, which was like the main road that you went down and they had sculptures. I think 19 different scu- um, wow. modern sculptures were commissioned from, I think, 16 different countries. They made sure they represented every race and continent, although it's really heavily skewed towards European artists. Right. Um, and you can actually go look at the photos of all these super, super modern sculptures, many of which are still there in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want to portray it as modern. They want to portray it as harmonious. That's kind of what we already talked about of like mm-hmm. the indigenous community feeling included in the narrative. And I want to be super clear. This is like a PR campaign, right? This is not yeah. necessarily the reality of Mexico, right? The, this is why the Olympics in general are so fascinating to me because it's one big national PR campaign of like, how do we want to present ourselves to the rest of the world? And so I want to be super clear that what's happening at the same time, and I'll talk about it in a second, is the PRI and the government in charge of Mexico is is basically an authoritarian one-party regime. I mean, they have a democracy. You can vote as long as the candidate is from that party. So, like, you have mm-hmm. some options within that party. But And there is a lot still of violence towards indigenous people. There's indigenous people at this time who are seeking land reform to get back their communal land. So I want to be super clear here that what they're showing to the world in the Olympics is what they want everyone to think And part of that is to kind of try to cover up some of the parts of Mexico that um, they don't want foreigners, potential foreign investors to see. Mm -hmm. So there's literally moments Mm -hmm. where in the weeks before the the Olympics, they very shamefully literally clear out the city of any um, homeless people, poor people. They just say, you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to get on a bus out of Mexico City they paint the slums bright colors they just say let's just like slap a a coat of paint over it um let me find i'll cut this part out but let me find this quote oh here we go this is a quote from time magazine in 1968 says quote even the shanty towns look good inhabitants were given buckets of free paint and they responded with a typically mexican gusto some shacks were bright stripes others have blazing coats of lavender green or orange so it's like very much this is for a foreign audience this by the way is not what what a lot of mexican people want the mexican government spending their money on right so there's going to be a really important protest movement that happens as a result of this olympics where there's a lot of students a lot of poor people who are saying there's a lot of other things we could be be spending our money on than the millions and millions of dollars to convince the rest of the world that we're like cool and hip and modern Mm -hmm. so 
the last um, harmonious, modern, and peaceful, right? Peaceful and safe. Right. And so the other image that you see in the design elements all the time is the peace dove. So on slide four, you'll kind of see it's just like a really simplified version of this peace dove that you see everywhere. Um, they literally gave, they literally handed out stickers and like images of the white peace dove for every business to put on their windows. They wanted to be, it to be plastered all over the city. And to some extent, that was true. And one of the reasons why Mexico City was chosen out of anywhere else in Latin America was because they had actually been able to thread this needle and stay somewhat neutral in the Cold War. They'd been able yeah. to maintain this important economic relationship with the United States, but they still maintained mm -hmm. relations with communist Cuba. They were kind of able to go in the yeah. middle of both. Interesting. And so when the Olympic Committee was like, well, we want it to be somewhere that's not essentially the Northern Hemisphere, or not the North, mm -hmm. that's not like the West, quote unquote, right. Mexico City was seen as kind of the safest, even just politically, it wasn't gonna piss okay. anyone off. So they right. are wanting to promote that. And I say all of that because one of the most important events that happens is two weeks before the Olympics are gonna start. There's this massive student movement. It's called like the movement of 1968 and it's mostly okay. students. They're pushing for, they have been up until this point, pushing for reforms. They want more democratic measures mm. in the government. They want government spending on social programs, not on foreign businesses investing and on the Olympics. And they have been peacefully protesting and they are now gonna use the Olympics and the attention that's coming to Mexico City for the Olympics to try to like let people know about their cause. Mm -hmm. So two weeks before the opening ceremonies, there's this very famous, it's called the Tlatelolco Square Massacre. And oh, it's exactly I've what it sounds never like. Heard of this. Yes, so it is in Tlatelolco Square, which I can talk about in, in the symbolism of that is really interesting. Yeah, it was hundreds and hundreds of student protesters yeah. who they, I'll sh there's some of the art that I've included for you, they are taking imagery and the logos of the Olympics oh, and turning them into protest. And they're saying like, no, we don't want, and you saw this in Rio when Rio was hosting the Olympics too. Mm -hmm. You saw, you mm -hmm. see a lot of this when the world cup comes somewhere and they're like, we don't want FIFA mm -hmm. here. We want like healthcare, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, and so they're peacefully protesting in the square wow. and the Mexican armed forces fire onto these unarmed civilians. Oh and God. we don't know exactly how many died, but it's probably in the hundreds of students <gasps> died in this square just two weeks before the opening ceremony and i do just want to say that for a long time the narrative which this will sound familiar was well some of the protesters were violent and fired first yes, yes. we now know without a doubt that actually the authoritarian regime had placed snipers to like start the violence to then sort of justify they wanted to break up this protest movement before a bunch of foreigners showed up for the olympics yeah. right yeah. and so Sounds all correct. of a sudden this carefully curated image they've been working on for years is just totally shattered. Um, oh. And the protesters, it's partly because they're so successful at taking the art and the design and the imagery of the Olympics and turning it to their movement. So mm -hmm. you'll see on these later slides, there's one, the very What's last slide. Is they look like those images look so much like imagery in the sixties in the U S mm -hmm. that was like the opposite of op art there was other artists who were really trying like you think about like even guerrilla girls um mm. there's a lot of zines that are coming out then there's a lot of protest posters that are very similar that like uh that are basically like you like a photocopier like they take a photocopier yeah. and then they cut it up and then they use it for something like they're doing like like risographs now kind of but like but i think it's really interesting they but the difference i think is so there, there's a certain aesthetic to uh, Mexican art mm. of the period that, it, you know, that like it has this sort of 
I don't know, it's the thing that you said earlier about the indigenous artists were already doing it, that there's sort of an indigeneity to the, the way they're yeah. doing it. It's something about the way that it's laid out. It's like, it looks like 60s American protest art, but it has sort of a different feel. You know, you it's slightly it's different. different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what they really successfully do, so they there's all these white peace stubs plastered all over the city. So they go around with red spray paint and on every white yeah. peace stub, they spray red spray paint. I mean, they're so successful at taking mm -hmm. all this imagery and turning it towards so their movement. You see- um, It's why visual culture matters. Like when you're teaching mm -hmm. history, right? Cause like that, that is exactly like all of this protest art that you'll see when people are trying to counteract things. And like protest art could even be, um, American art of the colonial era is actually protest art, right? They're right. protesting. Uh, they're, they're creating their own vernacular. That's protest art. Going so back like, to our earlier episode, there were like tea yeah, sets made that exactly. they would have like American imagery on it of like, screw exactly, you, Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about, it's, it's taking, the way that it happens is you take a visual language everyone gets and then you turn it on its head. Totally. And so yeah. it's so effective because there's almost no words on most of this art. There's no words. If there is, it's the Mexico 68 logo. But then, for example, you'll see the peace stub with like a bayonet, a bloody bayonet through yeah, it. Or you'll see Mexico 68. And one of my favorites is it's a tank and you have a soldier who looks sort of almost gorilla like soldier inside of it. And then if you notice like the big wheel part of the tank, I know that's not what it's called, is the five Olympic rings. Right. Um, and so it's like you look at it and it's all there and it's so effective. And so yeah. what ends up happening, right, of course, is now international news isn't spreading incredibly quickly. So it's not like right. the whole world is learning about this. So they're trying to figure out, OK, we want to make sure that in these two weeks we can sort of clean this up, that no one really hears yeah. about it. But it ends up being unsuccessful because on the cover of I want to say it's Time magazine, one is that has like the cover story of the opening oh. ceremonies. There's none of the imagery that was curated for the Olympics. It's oh. the Aztec Stadium where the main yeah. opening ceremonies are going to be surrounded yeah. by police and tanks. Like that's wow. what becomes the image of these opening ceremonies. And then, of course, later, what becomes the image that if, if Americans know anything about this Olympics, it's the Black Power Fist. Yeah. So this is the Olympics where you have the two black American runners right. who give kind of the black power salute. And the poor Australian guy. And the Australian guy who actually did it in solidarity. He, yes, um, exactly. He gave the, the other guy. guy his glove right, or something. He was like, why don't you have my gloves? Something. So I'll be matching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he was, it everyone always assumed, it was so sad. What a sad thing that happened to him. And then, yeah, and they, and so they get stripped of all their medals. Did, they it's get funny because it's like one of those things that happens on TikTok. We talk about decentering. Like Asian people should decenter themselves if if it's a conversation about black people, right? That's mm. how like you would use it, and yeah. that's what this guy was doing when he did yes. that. I just wanted to not be about me. Like, yeah. pay attention to what these guys are doing, and then he, of course, yeah. gets drawn into all this as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting because what what people now remember, if they remember anything about these Olympics, it's either that imagery of the tanks surrounding the stadium, yeah. or it's the two black American runners, right, giving that in that protest protest movement. And I think it's just, that's why I was really fascinated to study this, is that mm -hmm. all of the desires of like what Mexico is trying to portray, which mm -hmm. were to some extent true and to some extent false, right? Was Mexico right. more peaceful than other Latin American countries? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did they have this economic miracle? Yes. But it's just so interesting, too, how these protest movements then so successfully, whether it's the Black Power Movement in the United States, right, using the Olympics as a stage, or this student movement in Mexico City, using the Olympics to turn it around and say, we, we actually want you paying attention to this totally different thing. Yeah. I mean, but like the 60s, the funny thing is like, I mean, the 60s, Cleveland, Cleveland was like, there was like actively bombs happening in Cleveland 
Detroit mm. was being burned like left and right, right? Like yeah. the Great Lakes. Were, the reason we have brutalist architecture in so many U- American university con- it's like protest because pro- protest groups, right? So like, yeah. so like it's interesting that you're what what to me is also interesting is how global the '60s were. Like it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine because they didn't have like phones like you know yeah that, that how did this travel movements. so quickly yeah how did this travel that like yeah and the fact that you know and this again is why i think these huge international events the world cups mm-hmm. the olympics are sort of like they're like my super bowl i love watching them and i don't care about the sports mm-hmm. at all i want to see the opening mm-hmm. ceremony i want to be like what song did you choose mm-hmm. what like what what, what dances are you doing right because them. Because I just want to know. I want to know like how it is this orchestrated campaign to be like, we get a chance to sell ourselves to the rest of the world. And then obviously, if other people in the country disagree with that image, which these students did, they can try to turn it on its head. Now, it didn't end up, I mean, the protest movement didn't end up being very successful. I just want to be clear. I mean, for the most part, the news about the massacre actually didn't spread very far. I mean, people heard about it, went, that's terrible. And then moved on with their life but so i should say the pre the pri party ended up ruling mexico until i'll fact check this at the end um i want to say it wasn't until 2000 or 2002 or something that they elected a candidate that wasn't from the pri i think it was vicente fox Mm -hmm. and so um it's the student movement wasn't as successful i'm sure as they would have liked but it does Mm -hmm. bring attention and it does kind of have an impact on the way the government right if they if they want to keep up this facade of being not facade but they want to keep this image of being you know harmonious and peaceful and modern and democratic um then you know students are going to call them on it so that's the mexico city olympics i love it i have one thing i want to add please looking at those visuals because i i have seen the one the black and white one i had seen that one but one thing that I had done a lot of research on years ago for something at work um, was the 1964 New York World's Fair. Mm. And one thing that I think is so interesting is how much more um, content, like how much more contemporary modern the 1968 Mexico Olympics is. And it really gives you a sense of if you look at like the World's Fair stuff, it is a lot of like Futurama. They're both trying to be modern, but I think what's interesting is uh, looking at this protest art that you show, it really shows the difference in the 60s. It shows how the 60s were like this pot boiler because the 64 World's Fair had some of this sort of like glitzy modern stuff that the uh, Olympics had, but it doesn't have this kind of undercurrent that, uh, you know, like America must, the North America must have changed so drastically between 64 and 68, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, it sort of must be the way that we felt like um, with you know the Black Lives Matter movement, where like it's yeah. always like the pop boiler, but you can see it in the visual culture, which is fascinating. Yeah, and I think you're totally right too when you mentioned like even just the style of this protest art being like you like photocopied it. It was like it feels all the protest art that I see. Of course, the the Olympic art, of course, is like super pristine and well curated and beautiful, and that makes sense, right? And, but then the protest art, literally, you can imagine students almost like drawing it on the street and then copying it and spreading yeah. it around. Like that's the style you almost yeah. get. And I don't, I don't. I have a hard time sometimes like, you know, looking at art. It's not always that I'm looking at art and going like, I get it. I feel it. And something about this protest art, I'm like, I feel something in this. Like, no, I can tell amazing. that this is I've like street art. Amazing. 
right yeah, so um so yeah again check it out on my instagram or i'll put it in the show notes as well if you want to um but thank you for letting me i've never been able to talk about this with anyone my husband it's very cool didn't want to hear about it <laughs> so thank you for letting me rant at you about yeah, this paper i had to write 10 years ago oh my god um so if anyone again wants to find you um where should they go they can find me at Artlust um, on TikTok or at the Artlust podcast, wherever podcasts are. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. I learned so much in these two episodes from you, and so I really I. appreciate it. Awesome. So did I. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, thank you for validating my graduate school experience. Now this knowledge is preserved in audio format where someone will know about all the books and articles that I had to read. As always, thank you to my guest, Seema Rao. You should go follow her, especially on TikTok at Artlust for all things art design, current events, type history. She's incredible. As always, thank you for listening to this podcast. And the two best ways to support it are to like it and share it. Maybe give me a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a few people about it. Let them know that I exist. Um, even better would be to join patreon.com slash antisocial studies. That's my main way of supporting myself as I work on these podcasts and try to put out as much good content as I can. Thanks, and talk to you next week.